Welcome to Genius Leadership Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their rollercoaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast. Share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader. It's time for another episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm going to talk to Johan Stromberg, the CEO of Wonderword. It's an interactive audio entertainment and interactive audio engine company. And for us normal people or usual people, that means that you can listen to audiobooks and actually decide what happens to the character, whether they die if they go left or they go straight and they continue living and they find whatever they're looking for. Anyways, that is the absolutely new way of interacting with the content. And with Johan, we will be talking just about that. How do you create a new, not only brand, but actually product category? Because it's a monster of its kind, right? And you need to tackle it in a good way. So in case you are thinking about something that hasn't been done before, or you have found some great ways of combining different technologies and creating something absolutely new with them, this conversation is for you. So with Johan and his experience, both in a corporate as and as a, and a consultant and an entrepreneur, we are going high and low and uh, we're actually tapping into his experiences throughout the conversation. So you get a different perspectives depending on what, what stage of your business or your career you're in. With Johan, we're talking about the leadership as always on this podcast, and how to be sustainable, you need to create the ownership for the task. And also, if we talk about the trust-based leadership and giving people your trust and freedom, how you still need to adjust it to the people's needs, because it can be too much. You can give too much trust or freedom to people who are not ready for that, and that will stress them out, and they will want to leave the company, for example, because that's not what they want, not they're ready for. You need to be smart as a leader and for you to be able to perform sustainably, both as a person, professional, and as a team and an organization as a whole, you really need to be smart. You need to be looking at your people, seeing what their needs are, seeing what their capabilities are, and pace yourself for them. It might be frustrating to hear it, but it is important. As one of the previous guests on the show, uh, Cecilia Birkestotter said, if you're running too fast, you're not a leader. You can't be too way ahead of people because then you're alone and there is no one to lead. So we're also talking about what it takes to create a brand and a new category. Johan is talking that it can't be done alone. You really need to engage and include your employees and partners in the process. And we're also talking about how to find those partners, whom to think about, what kind of questions to ask yourself, so that you find good partners who can help you to speed up the process, because speed is essential. It's really crucial to get yourself going, get yourself out there, and continue improving from there on. And for that, it's good and essential to involve other people. We're also talking about the diversity, how the, the diversified team 
can help you and how that is actually very important when you're creating a new product, new brand, new category. You want to give a piece of advice how to ask your people for ideas, how to encourage this kind of communication within the team, within the organization that will help you discover the ideas from different individuals and how to tap into those and how to bring the synergies so that everyone can win from this creative process and how it is important to work on the behaviors. We're also talking about that both employee and the company behaviors, how that is affecting the productivity and the efficiency and the effectiveness of the company and the success of whatever you're creating. And talking about the creation, when you have to make some changes in organization and you know you'll have some resistance, Johan is talking about that, that you will always have some people who will be resistant, but only very few of them will voice that resistance. And those are the people who are usually setting the tone for the whole organization, the whole team. And Johan is talking about how important it is to identify those people and to work with them in the process so that you have your buy-in for the change before you announce it. And once those people are on board, it's getting much easier to get everyone else on board and get a successful change happening. Last but not least, we're talking about how important it is to spend time to understand your customer, to talk to them, and to share your ideas without being afraid that they will be stolen. This is an issue that a lot of investors and mentors for startups are talking about, that a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck in their creation process because they're afraid of sharing the idea. And Johan, with his experience in multiple startups, successful ones, he's saying that that is not the thing that you should be afraid of. Ask people, involve mentors, involve your potential customers. And we're also discussing how to find that spot, the sweet spot where it makes sense to start involving the customer so that you don't show them something that's completely not ready and doesn't really represent what you're creating. But at the same time that you don't wait for too long to create too much to get too attached to your baby before you get feedback that might require some changes. And I think there was a very good idea that Johan is talking about the expectation management. When you are presenting your idea to a potential customer, to a mentor, and so on and so forth, explain which stage you're in at and what are the people looking at are they talking are you looking at the fully functioning prototype are we talking about a completely very very raw idea that is the very first stages of the development so that people know what they're looking for and looking at i hope you'll find this conversation useful as always and let me know what you think i'm looking forward to your feedback see you on the other side Johan, a very warm welcome to the Genius Leadership Podcast. Thank you. So I want to start with a question that I usually ask my audience or, or my, my guests, which is when you hear the word sustainable business performance, what comes to your mind? Well, when I was younger, it was more or less, you know, to force everything as fast as possible and make as much money as you could in a, in a short period of time. But uh, being more experienced, I've learned to understand that, you know, say sustainability comes in a long in, in a wide range of areas. It's got mm -hmm. to do with everything from nature to your own personnel and to yourself. So I would say sustainability uh, is a smart way of working for me. Hmm. I like how you define it. So what, what kind of 
understanding came with this experience and what kind of shifts are you making to be more sustainable as a leader? I would say it started when I was a company where we we were working with our recruitment. We did a test of the personnel and and, uh, tested the actual age and the physical age. Mm. Then during that year, we worked a lot with giving people the opportunity to to exercise or change the way they looked into moving themselves, eating and supporting them. And uh, after that year, we lowered the age of people. Uh, I think it was somewhere around 10 years on average. Wow. So, wow. We, the, and the biggest thing was we got a lady that was 62 to start going out and exercising. And she obviously uh, did a great job. And, and she thanked everyone in the leadership team afterwards for, for the shift. But as I said, I mean, uh, that is one example of sustainability when it comes to thinking long term. Uh, I always try to do things with my uh, with my colleagues to make sure that we do have exercises, that we do engage people and uh, that we also make sure that people take the smaller steps towards the bigger goal. Not everybody is is in line to or motivated to go running a marathon so you'll have to, you know, take go in to see what people really like, and 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 to let them go doing what they th- think is is interesting. And if you think it's motivated, motivated, then then you can do a little bit at a time. And uh, for some people, it's it's great to do a marathon. For for some, it will be devastating. So you just need and need to give them the tool to do that. Mm. So important and, uh, to really customize the the solutions and and the approaches depending on what people's goals, motivation, and needs are. Definitely, and and uh, I, I worked as a coach for two years, and some of of the people you meet are just business oriented, but some of them are also into looking into the wider part of of, of life, and some of them then wanted to be looking into exercising and stuff. But it's not about going to the gym all the time. It could be just taking uh, the bus another or, or stepping off one uh, one one uh, before you should. And then just walk a little bit every day. Uh, so it's depending on, on who you have in front of you. So motivation is the biggest part, I would say. Yeah, so important to tap into that so that person can actually continue going even when you're done with coaching with that person. That's, that's always oh, yeah. my goal with my clients to really get them self-sufficient that I'm not needed anymore and I can take myself out and they can come back to me when they it's time for them to go to the next level of their development and they need an extra push or new tools but before that no <laughs> I totally agree and I, and I much uh, put it as, as I do with parenting I mean the goal is not to be there every day every decision they make but I want them to be able to take the decision themselves and I think that's what management is all about and leadership actually i mean if you want to be a a manager that's probably easy but if you want to be a leader you need to give them the tools and and you want to to give them the the circumstances where they can thrive and i mean that's that's a lot of blah 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 but it unless you put it into practice and actually talk talk uh, a walk to talk Uh, and so during my years i think that's been the biggest shift that you talked about so that's trusting people or, or giving people the trust and let them know that they have the trust. And if they, if they take that trust and do something with it, there's more to come. How do you manage the, or the balance that with the, of tr- 
trust and maybe some kind of guidance that employees need because they all are on different level what how much trust and freedom they want and how much direction they want how do you learn that about your employees yeah well it's a good question i mean uh when i was in the army they always said you know uh trust is good but control is better and that's how it started off and and then you earn some trust and and you could try and and if you if you perform and if you do better than expected or on par you're given more trust and i that's more or less how i think most people do if they see that somebody is uh doing what you were supposed to do then that's fine if they don't you need to have more detailed uh management uh on them and so to me it's 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 very individual but but Hmm. then again i've worked in the recent years in, in small startups so i have very close relationship with my with my colleagues so of course i have the possibility in a larger organization you cannot touch everyone but usually an organization is built up so you have everything from five to 30 people in your organization level so so it usually works that way anyway and and the job is just that when you are in larger organizations you just make to be sure that you coach or train or give your uh your, your peers the, the right tools to do the the same thing to the next level and that, that's the hard part i think because being coach coaching people is is okay uh it's hard but it's okay but, but to tell somebody else to do the same thing maybe not everyone is a teacher right mm. or a good teacher so that's that's when you need to follow up and learn people how to follow up to make sure that they are performing the way we would be expecting them to do you have any good uh, any practical suggestions on how to learn to follow up? Maybe some good questions that you've learned that they work better or some kind of structure? Yeah, I usually work that way that when we agree upon something, I uh, try to ask them, so how much time do you need? And if they themselves come up with a date or a time that will suit them, I then ask them to say, okay, great. So how would you like to for us to 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 talk about it? And usually they say, let's have a meeting. Okay, so so then we just book a meeting when we're there. I've learned that if you do that and do it straight away, there's motivation. They themselves uh, understand that they have given the, you uh, a date that they promised to deliver on. So it's not me telling them to. So they have more or less no excuse to not make it because they were the one that told you so. And then also in the beginning, I would, for, for younger people or for inexperienced people, I would do halfway follow-up or, or if they're even, if they're very uh, inexperienced, I would do a, just a day after follow-up or just a couple of hours to see how they're doing. So it depends on the seniority of the person I work with, but I always tend to have an end date or an end goal that they say, this is the time I'm going to be delivering on what we agreed upon. And But if it doesn't work, then I need to go back to the detail type of working and say, okay, let's have a meeting and work this through. This is what I would be expecting you to deliver. Then the next time you will be doing this. So it's very dependent on situation. And it sounds like it's grounded on creating this ownership but also having the accountability. So when you yeah. you're asking your employees, okay, when do you think you can do it, or how much time do you need, and what yeah. kind of support do you need from me, you're really giving them the freedom to choose how to do it. 
you you gave the framework, you have the scope of the task, but then within that, people can go around and adjust to their needs, their way of working, and so on. And they have you as a leader to help them on the way. Yeah, I agree. And I can see the performance has just increased over the years if you do it that way. And people think it's it's much more fun, apart from those who are not performing, but they will not be having fun anyways. So it's better for the overall in that sense. Uh, so I, I think by, and I do the same thing when I, when I work with customers, when I am a salesperson, I, I tend to ask them, so when would you like to have this material? When I was younger, I would say, would it be okay for you to get this tomorrow? And I would work all night long to get that thing done. And, and, but nowadays I ask them and they say, well, next week we'll go. Okay. So my schedule has been a lot better <laughs> since I started open my ears and not talk too much. Mm, talking about sustainable and smart leadership, right? That's that right. With experience. That's right. All right. I would like to transition to the topic that we will have as the main scope for today, and that is part of the building the brand as a company conversation. And you, you and are now part of the team that are actually creating a completely new category of products and services. Uh, right. At Wonderword, you are working with uh, interactive audiobooks, and there are so many applications of the technology that you have as the background or the engine for that. So I would like to discuss what it takes for a company to bring a completely new product of a new category to the market. And also, what does it take of, from you as a leader or leadership team to get there or to go through this process in a sustainable way? Yeah, well, uh, there were many questions as one, but I, I could try and, and start with the first one. How do you build a brand? Well, first of all, I've learned through all the startups I've been into that you cannot do it alone. And that goes with both the colleagues you have, but also with the partnership that is needed. If you are to thrive fast and to, to succeed with what you're doing, you need to do it rather fast because otherwise people would you know, uh, just leave you after a while, both the investors and, and the employees and whoever, if you don't perform, uh, you're out. So it's yeah. important to do it rather quickly and, and have some momentum about it. Otherwise, other people will also gain on you on getting to the goal. So uh, partnership is very important. And I could just say that it, when we talk about Wonder Word, but we can see a big difference in the way that when we create, for example, an interactive audio game or an interactive audio book and, and have it published by ourselves, it's a lot harder to get out to the public rather than if we buy or have a, an agreement with an IP owner who has a rather well-known IP, then the same type of book or the same type of game will have a lot easier to reach more people because they already have a community that they can talk to. So it's more expensive to get the community in the beginning, but in the long run, it's cheaper and it's more fun and it's better. So you're always, I would say you're always dependent on some type of partnership. So who can I partner with? And I think I've seen that in many scenarios in life Everything from I need a partner to create my family uh, alone, I will be rather uh, not successful. And to actually uh, work with uh, other people to build a business. And because, I mean, I'm only myself, but if I get a lot of smart people around me and we together can work, you come up with so much better ideas. And with the right environment where you challenge yourselves, 
on constantly improving and and, and creating that feedback culture where every, every meeting you ask yourself, how can I do this better? And in, in every what well, everything you do, just okay, how can we do this next time? How can we just be more effective? That is what you need to get uh, to where you want to go, you, to reach your vision, actually. I love a lot of points that you covered here. And I think one of the points that I would like to dig deeper and again, get practical on is the partnerships. How can entrepreneurs listening to us, watching us, think about it? What kind of questions can they ask themselves to start thinking outside of the box and, and find those categories of people in their space or other spaces with whom they can partner up? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would just, you know, look at the market and, and see who else is to, is touching the, the customer base that we want to reach. Mm. And that could be almost anything. I mean, sometimes we're just locking into what we're talking talking about. But if you find that synergy of people who already have your customers or are touching your customers and they can bring another service in there that would, you know, make it even more interesting then there's a win win for all of us uh even the customers i have many examples of, of that uh one would be i was working with a software as a service for uh reducing sick leave in companies and direct sales towards uh the hr department was a pretty hard sale but if i was combining myself with another hr system or a, a financial system they already had a contact with the customer. So in that mm -hmm. case, I could convince the, the supplier of the financial system or the HR system that this is really great and we could go together or they could uh, recommend the customer to talk to us. And that was a lot easier. Obviously, you need to give away some sort of a revenue for that, revenue share or something, but it did speed up the, the time to market and, and the time to get to a new customer. When you're coming with a new type of solution like we are at Wonderword where people haven't heard about it before interactive audio what is that and uh, if we then in this case partner with an IP owner of for example uh little bit that have have this wonderful child children's book tales of Sasha they already have people who love it and they want to buy everything around it so they go and and, and purchase this interactive audiobook and realize oh great this is This is fun for my child learning math. And all of a sudden, they start looking at our other products. So mm -hmm. it's not only the revenue for that product. It's, it, it gains interest in whatever we are having on our plate. So that's one example of, of or two, actually, of partnerships that we have done. Mm. Thanks a lot for sharing those, Johan. I think that's good to, to really discuss it on not those practical and example levels, that it makes it easier for people to apply it in their own businesses and their lives. And I like how you covered that the partnerships are about everything, not only business, but also private life, right? It can be looking for a partner for, for life to create a family. It could be looking for a friend who can be your accountability buddy and support in your hobbies or your pri private goals. So it's really good, again, to think about it. Like I can apply it to everywhere. The learnings and whatever we're hearing here, They're really applicable not only to your business, but to you as a leader, as the whole you, not only the personal professional you. Thanks for that. We just said that people react to that, like, oh, interactive audio, what is that? So how do you go around and how do you explain it, both to potential partners, but also to the market potential buyers of your services? 
Uh, first of all, I try to actually show it to them if I have the possibility. Uh, it's a little bit harder of a link, but uh, that could be done as well. Uh, since we're working with entertainment, I, I tend to uh, show them my mobile phone and, and just show the game or the entertainment that we have. Otherwise, I more or less try to get them into the mode. So pretend you're, uh, imagine you're you're having an uh, uh, an interactive audio book and, and uh, imagine then that you could actually choose if the person should go to the left or to the right or uh, drive a certain car or if you're in a murder history that uh, you could choose if the person should go into the bar and ask somebody if what's happened and, and or you can work you can choose to go and look at the video surveillance cameras to see all of a sudden this is an interactive audio and not just what a to be listening audio so uh i tried to give people the understanding that you can use this type of entertainment not only sitting in front of the computer or on your phone you could just actually do whatever you want to you can drive a car because you can have both hands on the wheel and and the eyes on the road uh, you can take down the screen because a lot of parents or people don't want to be on the screen so much as they are today and, and, and lose their necks, so to speak. Uh, so that's another reason for, for us to uh, go out and tell that this is a lot more healthier way of doing it. But I think we're evolving from starting, we started reading books and now a lot of people are testing the, the, the books that are just read out uh, and the audio books in general. And, and I think that there are many people who would like to be involved. Imagine you would be with Harry Potter and you could be the one that actually decided if he went left in the in the labyrinth or if he went in the maze or if he went went right. And depending on what you chose, he would get killed or he would live or he would, you know. So it's I think you, you more you get a very immersive kind of feeling. It sounds like you're using a lot of storytelling when you are trying to explain what you what you do and what your service or product is both yeah. if it's possible through showing it and like creating the experience and if not possible creating experience through storytelling do you also use storytelling in, internally in the team kind of training each other or to create or, or or how does it go like how do you create something that doesn't exist in the market where does you where do your ideas come from Hey Genius Leader, I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. Well, it started off with our founder, Peter Setterberg, who's been living in, in stories his whole life and and uh, working at Xbox and, and uh, was part of the the business of, of buying the Minecraft game once upon a time. He is a splendid person when it comes to ideas and, and he just pops them out and there's plenty to take from. And then to succeed, you need to have all different types of people. I have awesome writers. I have awesome people who knows music and, and I have awesome developers and I have people who are awesome in developing servers alone we couldn't do it but together we can do a lot i tried mm -hmm. to bring some business savviness into the company the specialists have their competences and i need for them to be able to thrive in their area and not you know push them back too much they need to have that area of, of, of uh, freedom to create 
But then again, you still have a, you need to have to be a little bit of savvy uh, when it comes to business because they, if they would have had a blank piece of paper, they could go on for years developing something that we think is good enough to sell. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's a trade-off really. So I tend to lose, open the lid up, so to speak, and they will have, they have a lot of ideas. That's not the problem. And then we just need to decide, so which one do we go for and how do we do it? How long time will we give that? So that's what's fun about it. I don't really have to push in that sense. So mm. uh, we decide on what to do and then we produce it. And along the way, there's a lot of ideas that comes around and we put it on the parking lot for the next time. And the same thing goes with our interactive audio engine that we're developing and which, on which we are developing our games already. But that's coming out in September. And, and for that development, it's the same thing, really. There's so many ideas if you ask people. Uh, it's just the trick you need to ask people, not just sit mm. on, on on your own chamber and, and and try to develop everything by yourself. And this is partnering again. This time you're partnering with the users and you give them something that, hey, if you try this out and you can use it for free for a certain amount of time. And all of a sudden people are very eager to give and, and to share. And that's another part of, of partnership. Uh, mm. My job is to collect the ideas and to decide sometimes by myself and some many times collectively, what is the smartest thing to do? How do you get your different teams together to communicate with each other and to understand each other and to not create conflicts? I'm thinking writers, those are very creative people, music people, but then you also have developers who work with implementing that stuff. Yeah, a good question. Uh, you know, it's I don't have a, a written document, the blueprint for it. I, I would say it's situational leadership in that sense. Mm -hmm. uh, there are, uh, I wouldn't say conflicts, but there are different type of ideas of how to how to do things. And then sometimes you need to bring them to the same table in the same room and discuss it and say, okay, I know you have different opinions, but how can we go forward? And 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 when we're done in this room, we all need to be on the same page and we need to fight for the same thing. And that. It's really important that not only in the leadership team, but also in the company that we fight for the same thing. And we have the possibility to fight about your opinion. But when we leave this room, we should be a united company or group towards the rest. Mm. And that goes with my family. That goes with the leadership team. It goes with the company. Everybody is, is striving from having a, uh, an idea to work together with towards a goal. And, and and if you create that environment, you can move mountains in that sense. How do you work with that? Do you have continuous conversations about your values, the mission and vision, and the goals of the company? Or what's the secret there? Well, I wouldn't say it's a secret. It's just doing it. Many I've seen many companies over the year that's, that spent their kickoffs with driving fast cars or... or uh, going somewhere uh, on a beach or whatever we tend to I, i've been through a, a few companies and where we spent some time on recreation and fun we before that was working on our vision and mission together uh we were working with how we can get better in, in certain areas so actually last monday or a few days ago we had our kickoff for the year and then before we uh in the mornings we we work with behavior and how people behave in the company. We had some people coming in and lecturing on behaviors, and and then you need to uh, work with that in 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 the, in the company and talk about that and see certain examples. 
in the afternoon, we worked with our processes, how we can be better in everything we do. And, and it's important that everybody works together on it. So it's not just me standing up there telling them that this is wrong, but that we together find out the solution and, and go for it. And in the afternoon, oh, sorry, uh, at dinner, we had a great barbecue together. So uh, it, it, that's how I do it, continuously work with improvement and to remind people that your behavior is important on where we will go and, and, and also to give each other feedback and positive and, and feedback that can make you improve as well. And that's a learning. Uh, in the beginning, nobody wants somebody new to tell you that you did something wrong. But if you have an organization where people think that they are meaning well and they do it because they want you to be better and they, they're your friend, that's another situation. And then you, can, then you can just celebrate mistakes and just learn from them. What are your ways to actually gain that trust or, or that openness so that people understand that you, when, when Johan comes with something, he wants that for my own sake? I think it's got to do with, with sharing and, and showing that you yourself is vulnerable, that you can, you're not perfect. And that I go back to what I do with my kids. And I could just say that my daughter's going to kill me now, but she crashed the car one time when, when we were out driving, uh, she was, it was a learner permit type of thing. And, and she hadn't her license yet. And we crashed into a taxi and, you know, I went out and looked at it and then I gave her a hug. And opposed to yelling at her, what the f- are you doing? So my behavior will steer future behaviors of her. And the same thing goes with the company. If I go in and publicly tell somebody that you can go somewhere else because you're not doing a good job, uh, that will have a cer- certain uh, uh, behaviors on, on their behalf going forward. They will not tell me if something is wrong. And the worst thing that could happen is that we have something that is wrong. Uh, and nobody tells me. So I need to be in the forefront telling people that I did wrong and, and I can improve and let's get ideas on how to do that. It should be anybody can come up to me and say, this is wrong. We need to do something about it. Some people call the Toyota uh, concept. I know that Tesla has been doing the same thing. Uh, there are a bunch of companies that do it, but uh, there's Scania was celebrating uh, uh, people who came out with problems and looked in that way. But I think that the, the, for me, the most important thing is to, to show that it's, it's great to bring up problems and, and do it as soon as you see them. And you should not be hitting on them for bringing them there. You should celebrate them for bringing it up now, rather now than later, because later is going to be very expensive. And it goes the same way with friendship. And, and if somebody is doing something wrong, it irritates you. I mean, if you just leave that and, and you wait and wait and wait, you don't say anything. And in the end, you're going to be so irritated. But if you told them in the beginning, say, you know what? You're snoring and do something about it. Yeah, we don't explode. And that's, that is unusual, I would say, still. I, I have been like this all the time. And I've been honestly called childish in, in the professional environment because I would bring yeah. up the issues before they explode, because I just want to deal with them. And I don't want to have that irritation. I don't want to have that energy when I come into the room and I know that, okay, there is some tension here and yeah. there's elephant in the room. It's just annoying and it's draining. And like, why? Yeah. Why do we need to do that? Yeah. We can talk for adults. So how do you nurture that if you have any resistance? Because I said, as I said, I had resistance in my professional experience. Yeah. How did you go around that? Well, first of all, I would just want to say it's, it's hard as... Hmm. 
to do it. It's not something that you easily do. So uh, that's the, the baseline. Uh, uh, what we've been doing is is in change when I've been doing change management consultancy, and also when I've been in the situation myself is that it's very important to think into the situation when this happens, who's going to react to the changes and who's mm-hmm. going to be mad. Uh, and, and you could just actually think about who would be you know, inspired and who will be mad about the situation. And many times I've tried to involve the people that I know will be most persistent to change in the process of doing the change. And therefore, I'm more or less you know, taking down the, the sound uh, around this whole change thing, and uh, because usually it's around two or three percent that don't like the change and they shout out about it, and somewhere around seventy five percent are okay with it, and then you have ten percent that just love it. Uh, so, you just, but we tend to listen most to the ones who are, are shouting and don't, and want to resist the change, and all of a sudden that's the that's the whole truth for the whole, whole organization. If you're if you think about it, smart and 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 uh, do something about it. Uh, you can you can think in advance of it. It doesn't work all the time, but at least you try it, right? Mm-hmm. How do you do it if you're a consultant and you come into the team that you don't know yet? Oh well, uh, then of course, I mean it, it's it, it is harder, but you can still uh, consult them and give them the the tools to talk about it, mm-hmm. and uh, you you can you can coach them to say, okay, I know you're going to do a big change here. So who are the people who usually oppose to this? And they will tell, and they will start thinking themselves. And you always see that. Okay, I know it's this guy or this this girl. So, okay, what will they say? What? How could you get them involved in this? And then all of a sudden, they you can see many times they go, ah, that's how I'm going to do it. And many times I ask them, so how can you invite them into the actual process and convince them in the beginning, and not have them shouting in a room at the end when you already decided everything? Because that's how how people react when something changes. They want to know what's going on and the next reaction, what's in it for me. And if they can hear that in the beginning and they can then they can influence where you're going, it's a lot easier. Yeah, you get the buy-in. You get them as a, some kind of ambassador, ambassador of the change yeah. as well. Yeah, and all of a sudden it's even stronger because everybody knows that that person usually is opposed to change. And all of a sudden this person is pro. Oh, then this this has to be really good. So it's it's a little bit harder in the beginning and more cumbersome. But I felt over the years that it's, it's more uh, it pays off really well, mm. and it's more fun. Mm. It's not easy as you said earlier on, but it's it's fun and it's very rewarding to have it when when you are driven by some mission of yours, some purpose that you see. And yeah. you manage to get other people on board to actually join forces and create synergies. That's just the beauty of the process of being a leader. Yeah. I would like to go back to the creating a new brand or creating a whole new product category. Yeah. With you going through that process right now, what are the most exciting things about that? And what are the challenges that you feel like, oh, can we skip those, please? Well, uh, for once, is that well, they more or less tie together. The challenge is, is that your people don't understand what you're doing. I, I think that we have spent a lot of money in, in many businesses I've been in where we didn't tell the audience what we're doing. We're mm-hmm. just, we've been living with this project for like two years and we know what it is. And then we forget about that the customers don't have a clue. 
and we sell it like everybody know it has the same information as we have and therefore we're missing a lot of people so in my case we could just say okay i'm just throwing up a picture of of a game or an interactive book on a poster or or a tableau or just crossing uh, your computer and i'm not telling you what it is all about so if nobody knows about the entertainment they don't know where to go to find it so many times you need to just you know show where you're going to use this so we're working with user scenarios and and making sure that people know that you can actually use it in the car you can use it when you do in the dishes and you can actually see that so that's that's how we work with it and trying to see trying to get people to understand when and where and why you should use it and when we have not done that it's been a failure because you spend mm-hmm. a lot of money and nobody's reacting to it you can see that absolutely no one is buying the product for a certain time oh, and it hurts because mm-hmm. you think it's so beautiful and good and and uh, but you just haven't told people and and yeah. sometimes uh it was i was in the business of of schools we built the platform for kids in the 7th to ninth grade it was a beautiful platform we won prizes for for the best platform two years in a row but we thought that you know we could go to the principal of the school and sell it and we realized after a while after a lot of selling that the principal was not the one deciding what books to to buy so we were we were going to the wrong person mm-hmm. in many schools in sweden it was the math teacher and the swedish teacher that was deciding what what books to buy and they were not interested in buying a platform they wanted to have better books for themselves so it, it, sometimes it, you're just i mean you, you should be uh, spending time understanding the customer so that you don't sell them the wrong things and and uh, that's what's hard when you approach people with a new product and they don't know what you're selling it's hard for them also to understand what it's for so you need to spend a lot of time showing them the scenarios when it's great to use it and uh, the example of of the platform i was talking to uh, talking about in the school we i think we spent a lot of, of money on marketing in general and then we got the in, an influencer who was sitting there to do his final exam and he did a podcast or a video cast on on or blog on how this tool was helping him and he was you know he was in a ninth grade and he was you know what i i can't do anything but now i got this platform is so great and all of a sudden we reached like 50,000 people just because we understood what who the customer was so the hardest part is is not knowing who the customer is and 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 what they want and and what's important to them and it takes a little while to to get into that but you just need to investigate and as much as possible use data to analyze the behavior of people if you change that to that so it's it's more or less ab testing right but if you're in a new organization if you're in a new product uh, area it's hard to understand what is normal mm-hmm. for us for example i mean if we get a a conversion rate or if we get a retention rate is what is that is that normal or is should we compare us to normal games or should we compare us to the books or what we don't know yet uh, money is one thing, but, but but also the behaviors is another. I don't How know. If early do you? Yeah, it does. It does. It, it does it in a good way. Uh, 
talking about engaging the customer or learning and to understand them, when do you start with that? What would you need to have as an idea or product? How far should you be with a prototype or whatever before you start engaging them so that you, you don't do it too early, but don't wait for too long either? Yeah, I mean, I would say as early as possible because then you could you can alter it along the way. Uh, if you start too late, then you will be spending too much time on, on doing the wrong things. And there are plenty of books reading on this iterative uh, development or, or uh, lean uh, startups. There are many books to read about it, but uh, try to iterate as much as possible and test on the presumable customer uh, is the best way. Uh, and then, of course, uh, there's always a risk of, of somebody stealing your idea and running, but uh, so far, I haven't seen that many uh, that steal your product. It's just in, in, in early stages, startups, uh, it's more that they want to see that it actually flies before they are interested in, in, in stealing anything. They don't have time for that. So I would say that, that getting a test audience that is close to what you think would be your audience is the best way. And I think it's always uh, a danger that you're a la- little bit lazy. You get to test people around you instead of getting them internationally. It's a little bit mm. harder to get the right de- demography, but in the end, it's going to give you a, a lot better. For us, for example, our market is more or less uh, America, U.S., and uh, of course, we can go and get testers from where we live, my friends around the corner, but they're not in zone, really. Uh, it's nice of them to help me out, but it would be smarter of me to actually get a proper test bed in the US or where my customers are, instead of making the easy choice of asking a, a couple of friends. And that's something you need to work with. That's a very good piece of advice, John. I'd like to go back quickly to one of the things that you mentioned, and then maybe we'll wrap up for being mindful of the time. Uh, you talked about having this idea of good enough, right? And, and not perfecting too, for too long. How do you exercise that? Especially as an entrepreneur, especially if you're a founder, I can imagine that when you are the uh, idea creator, and then you try to implement it and bring it to the person, uh, to, to the market, to your customers, it's quite hard to say like, yeah, okay, Let's push it out in the world and then see what happens and improve it as we go. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a learning of, of knowing your colleagues and, and knowing yourself. And, and uh, I mean, for example, if I am the person who is eager to get going and it's more important for me to throw things out than to actually do it thoroughly, and then you have a colleague who's the other way around, uh, then it's a good combination. But if you just have people around you who are the same, you probably throw out too many things too fast with low quality. So if you're if you're uh, honest to yourself and know your own personality and how who you are, you need to pick people around you who would be your opposite. It's a lot harder because it, you're not always going to be agreeing, uh, but at least you're going to get most probably somewhere around where the, the the truth is, and then you could understand. So is it is it smart? to spend two more years in developing this or should we go out and test it on a few people? And uh, I know people around me for years that they always wanted to wait until it was perfect. And I told them there's no way because Mm -hmm. we don't have time for that because otherwise we will have to go out and raise more money 
and people don't want to invest in things unless they see some sort of a progress. So that's why you also need to have some iteration in, in how you do it and test it. Because if you can prove progress and if you can prove that people like it, either by somebody buying it or by somebody rating it, then that's really cool. I mean, we have we have titles out now that uh, we released that was uh, uh, free to play and, and reaching uh, hundreds and thousands of, of skills activations. And that's really cool. Then you know that something is working. Uh, but that was not released just uh, when everything was done. We did iterative uh, development. And all of a sudden, you now have a big volume to test on. So that's really great. But you need to you need to do it as early as possible. But then again, you need to tell people the expectation of what they're testing. Mm-hmm. So you cannot just, just throw something out and say, okay, test this. And, and they will say, okay, well, this is not done. This is this doesn't look well. You mm-hmm. should have told them the where you are in the development stages so you will get their honest feedback and, and also say, okay, how much would you pay for this? Mm-hmm. And some people will say nothing because it's not good enough. So that's you you have to you can't be afraid of the feedback. It's feedback is gold. For sure. So good. So good, Jon. I'll just summarize what I've heard. Tap into the diversity of your team so that you're actually pushing each other or pulling each other whenever you need it so that together you're actually creating this kind of golden middle between early enough and not too late and so on. But also, as you said, expectation management with people who who are testing your ideas and your products so that they know what they're testing. Is it a prototype? Is that the ready to, to go to market product or anything in between? So that's very, very good point to actually make it clear. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Johan, I would like to wrap up with three questions. First of them is, what would be your three pieces of advice to the genius leaders tuning in? And that can be a summary of what we've already discussed or something that we have missed and you would like to cover. Well, first of all, uh, be bold and try things out. Uh, Ideas are great, but if you don't try them out and if you don't work for them, nothing is ever going to happen. And also make sure that you have people around you that don't agree to what you're saying. You know, agreement in every, is nice, but it's not progress. It's not going to lead you to, to success all the time. And uh, make sure you have fun. Uh, if you're not having fun, I mean, in the end of the day, when you're lying there dying, what have you achieved? Uh, so make sure you, you like what you're doing. Mm, so important. And How are you making sure that it's fun? Well, I, I try to have as uh, fun as possible, both in my, my free time and, and I, I try to meet up with friends and family. I try to have a mix of friends, family and work. There's plenty of books on that as well. But I, I tried to live this as well over the years and, and not only be with my family all the time and not only work all the time and not only exercise all the time, but try to mix mm-hmm. it and to have the end goal in mind that I'm going to live until I'm 100. And what do I need to do then? I can't work all the time because then I will be exhausted and I can't just be with my friends because then I will have no family and so forth. So, but that's my choice and I've done it. So I, I, I went, I worked at Microsoft a bunch of years ago and we had this marvelous training with the seven habits of highly successful people. And it started off with a person. Imagine you come into a church and and you see a lot of people, you recognize them, and you go off and you see an open casket, then it's you, you're dead. You have your friends, your family. What do you want them to say about you? 
and that started it got me thinking and and uh and i decided to just mix it up a little bit yeah so important yeah so stephen covey's book the seven habits that you're talking about has been a big impact has had a big impact on my life as well and my personal development it's a book that i would recommend to many people yep so, uh, you want one piece of advice, the practical action step that genius leaders can take today after listening to us, what would that be? Well, think, think of, of a longer period than just tomorrow. Make sure that you have a leadership and, and a way of living that is sustainable so that you can look at yourself in the mirror and be proud of what you've achieved and also make sure that people can be with you the whole journey. If you do that, and uh, show people that you care about them, you will get something back. I, I love it how you managed to, to bring this conversation full circle. We started with the sustainable leadership or business performance, and then you wrapped it up with that as well. Johan, if people want to learn more about you, about the Wonder Work, what are the best ways to get along or to get it with you? Uh, well, the easiest way is to go to wonderword.net. Hmm. And there you can you can learn more. Or you can just go, Alexa, open Curse Painting and you will play one of the games. <laughs> okay, we'll put that in the show notes and, uh, and let people play. Thank you so much for your time today and sharing so openly about your journey so far and best of luck and best of success to, to you and your team. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything 